Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kasesanov. Diet, nutrition, fitness. Ah, everyone who even begins to explore this topic, and we've done that a little bit already on London Heal, starts to sort of almost fall into a panic because there is so much information out there that you're just left standing wondering, what am I supposed to be able to eat? How am I supposed to exercise? Why is living so difficult? It never used to be this hard. And it is hard because it's confusing. The landscape out there is confusing and the research is always changing. There's a constant fight about macronutrients, micronutrients and whatever. So this week, I decided to invite um, Ben Kuma on the show. And Ben is an expert on this. And the reason why he's an expert is because he's gone through a journey by himself. And I'm a true believer that if you look at some, some of the most effective coaches, nutritionists, therapists, they're usually people who have actually solved their own problems or are certainly on the way to solving their own problems and therefore can really see into the problems that other people are experiencing. Ben is a performance nutritionist, um, a coach, an international speaker, and a fitness educator. He is also the number one rated podcast in um, the health and fitness room. So Ben, hoping to learn huge amounts from you here. And um, his show is entitled Ben Kuma Radio. He's coached thousands of people in his 90-day program, Fat Loss for Life. He's consulted and worked with everyone from pro athletes to kids just playing sport. He educates the nutrition coaches of the future in his BTN Academy. And he's worked with companies such as Sky TV, O2, and Twining's a tea company. He's been a headline speaker at Body Power, SFN, and BeFit for many years. And he continues to try and educate and innovate the world of fitness. So, Ben, first of all, thank you and welcome. And thank you very much for taking the time to speak to you. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. So, as I mentioned in the intro, you have gone through your own journey. Maybe that's a good place to start. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So I'm 33 now. And at the age of 18, I was pretty obese. I'd probably say at the time I was about five and a half stone overweight. I suffered with ADHD, asthma, IBS and eczema. And it was kind of the journey that I wanted to go on through trying to change myself to help my career. Uh, I was moving into the world of acting and I just kind of looked at myself and thought, do you know what? I don't think I can make it if I'm not slimmer, fitter, um, in my eyes, better looking, like all of those things I felt would contribute to my career success. So I kind of went on a bit of a journey. The journey was quite unsuccessful. I felt like I was putting a lot of effort in and not getting a lot in return. And um, a few scenarios and things happened and I kind of had to sit down and think, you know, why isn't this working? Like, what do I need to do? So I joined a gym because I thought, do you know what? There's probably people in a gym that know what I need to do. Like that's the places these people hang out, you know, trainers and stuff. So I joined a gym and I just happened to fall in the hands of a, of a good coach. And he told me to read a book. I bought the book and I applied it within like a week and I lost five and a half stone in the space of six months. And I just thought, wow, you know, I didn't, I didn't change loads, but I changed a few key things and that just helped uh, 
the weight really peel off. Uh, don't get me wrong, I did exercise a lot as well. At the time, I was probably in the gym like two hours a day, five days a week. So, you know, I had a high energy expenditure. I was doing a lot. And it was that journey that just got me hooked on nutrition. And at the age of, I think it was about 20, I trained uh, to become a personal trainer, uh, mainly through personal interest. I just thought I wouldn't mind knowing how to do it better for myself. So did that, got invited to be a personal trainer at a new studio, did that for about nine months. And then I kind of realized that my calling was a bit bigger. I wanted to do some um, things that were kind of more on a national or global scale. Uh, I didn't know how that looked at the time. So I went to uni, studied at uni, and then the uni journey took me off in the direction to start my own business, do lots of different jobs, travel the world, explore different opportunities and yeah now we sit 2019 and I've done a couple of things and generally try and keep myself out of trouble. I'd say you do a whole lot more than that actually sitting on a little empire there and uh, and doing amazingly good work and helping other people. Um, I think that's really interesting the the way that you've actually outlined your journey because it makes it really clear that this is something which is really hard to do by yourself. Can you comment on that? Yeah, I, it, it can be. Um, you know, environment is king for me. It depends what your environment is. Like at the, the time that I wanted to change, I didn't really have any help and I didn't really know what to do. My mum had been a vegetarian all her life. And I, you know, for me, vegetarianism is sort of a way of life. It's a set of principles that you live by through ethical, um, usually ethical means. And I didn't, I didn't have that belief system. It was nothing that my mum ever forced upon me. So that was really my own dietary, my only dietary influence. And at school, we didn't get taught about food. Uh, food was just put on, you know, the buffet counter and we, we kind of picked what we want. So I was kind of left on my own. So that's why there was so much struggle. And then I was like, right, my environment isn't succeeding. You know, it's not helping me. So where do I go? I go to a gym. That's where people that are fit hang out. So um, I think it depends who you've got around you, who you know, what books you've been exposed to. You know, for example, if someone had me as a friend, they might say, hey, Ben, you've been on a journey that I want to go on. Can you help me out? But if you are surrounded by people that, you know, went out the uh, the weekend and drunk and ate what they want and were fairly overweight and fatigued, then that's your environment. You haven't got anyone to kind of help and support you. So, yeah, I do think the influences around you are very important, but you have to have enough self-awareness to know whether your environment is currently going to serve you positively moving forward or not. And if not, you need to find an environment that's going to help serve you to move forward in the way that you want to move forward. Absolutely. It's like the idea of surround yourself with the people that you want to be, right? 100%. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The world of nutrition is is a minefield at the moment. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There's no lack of information. You've just got to go and ask Dr. Google and, and you just receive pages and pages of what appears to be incredibly conflicting information. And also everybody these days is a health expert. Um now, whilst I don't have any problem with people sharing their journeys, I just said at the beginning, I actually think going through that journey is a really important way to be able to see into the people that you're actually trying to help us in terms of their, their problems and their mindset. But at the same time, 
through my own investigations of nutrition extensively over the last year and a half. While I'm a scientist, I'm not a trained nutritionist, but still I think I can understand the data. It seems to me, bottom line, is that actually isn't a one-size-fits-all. So how do you approach that when somebody comes to you? Yeah, so the goal is very important to understand everyone's uh, individual goal. And that obviously depends or would then define on the level of specificity that you would want to go into. There's a lot of universal truths that I don't think we can ignore. Um, We need an adequate amount of sleep. So for most people, that's going to be seven to nine hours of sleep a night. We want that to be of good quality, restful sleep, you know, not broken uh, sleep. Uh, We then want to be well hydrated. We then want to be eating the majority of our diet as whole foods. We then want to be mindful of maybe things like alcohol and some other things that not necessarily cause a direct negative effect because we know that moderate alcohol consumption is absolutely fine and quite often uh, correlated to good health outcomes over time. But what the downside effects might be. So I know that if I have three pints of beer, I end up feeling groggy the next day. So at the time, the beer was an okay idea, but now it's not a great idea because I'm now feeling a bit tired, maybe not motivated to exercise, that kind of stuff. We know that we kind of want to eat protein at most meals because it's, it's good for overall health. We probably want to focus on nutrient density over time because that will bring us more vitamins, minerals, antioxidants. So once we start to package all of that up, you know, really 99% of the population wants to be doing that. And then once it, you know, boils down to maybe some specific performance goals or body composition goals or certain health outcomes, we start to manipulate that in a more specific way. So if someone's got a health complaint, we maybe look at some of the individual foods or food groups within that diet. If someone's got a body composition goal, we maybe start to get really specific about calories and macronutrients so we can start to really make sure we get the outcome that we want. So um, I do see this as a bit of a problem in the nutrition world that people really focus in on a very specific problem too soon. And I'm like, let's not forget the real basic work that has to be done here. And it, I suppose the problem is, is it's quite unsexy. Go to bed on time, eat real food, stay hydrated, don't have too much caffeine or alcohol. Like it's all really basic stuff. But without doing that, you can't get more specific. Like if someone sat down with me and they weren't getting beyond five hours of sleep a night, that's the first thing that we're going to focus on. And we're going to get it right till we change, till we, till we think about changing anything else, because something as simple as sleep has a massive impact on everything else. So um, I do agree with you, but I do think a lot of people just don't get the fundamentals really nailed down. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. Um, Slowly, slowly. I mean, right from the very beginning, London Hill has always been about looking after mind, body and spirit, because it is a triad. You you can't move forward without looking at everything. Um, And sleep is is a huge issue. But I think sometimes people can feel a little sort of overwhelmed and and they tend to think that they have to focus in one direction because they don't have the time and the capacity. So how realistic is it for a modern person? I mean, you said you spent two hours a day in the gym. That's not something that everybody can do. Also, some people can't even afford a gym membership. They're not exactly cheap. So what would be your advice for somebody who's starting out on that journey? Say perhaps their priority is to lose weight in order 
to improve their health um, rather than purely just a vanity driven or a, an appearance driven thing. What's the best way for somebody to start that journey? Mm. I would say do what you can and do something that is of interest and is fun. So when I was younger, I get that I exercised a lot, but I had the time, I had the interest too. I had a quite a vanity-driven goal at the time. I also uh, played sport, so I had another reason to be as fit as possible. For someone that's at the opposite end of the spectrum, let's say you know someone's 40 years old, got two kids, got busy work life, all that kind of stuff, it's just a case of like, doing what you can and not putting yourself into some kind of box where to be fit and healthy, you have to do things a certain way. So I did um, a video that uh, got a lot of people talking on Facebook a couple of weeks ago where I talked about um, people blaming their kids for not being fit and healthy. And one of my key points was is that it's very easy to blame external influences on why we can't initiate change. And it was very interesting that everyone that seemed to comment negatively on this video, they had this preconceived idea of what fitness should be. So I'm someone that's entering into fatherhood soon in my life. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. And I already know that things will change. So my expectation of myself, of my health and of my fitness is going to have to change. So right now I train about eight hours a week of intensive exercise. I know there's no way I'm going to be able to keep that up. And also my priority right now is to be athletic, is to be strong, is to be fully functional. When I have a child, all my expectations of my health will be is that I can hopefully maintain my weight. I can hopefully maintain my muscle mass and I can stay healthy and strong. So actually to do that, it doesn't actually take a lot of exercise. I could probably go to the gym or in my home garage and do three 15 to 20 minute workouts and that's it. Whereas you compare that to now, I'm doing four or five times that amount of exercise now. So I think people have to understand that to lose weight, we need to eat less than we burn. So somehow we need to be able to eat less food. We need to be able to hopefully move. And for you, if movement is getting on your trainers and just grabbing your kids and going for a walk in the park for 15 minutes, then just do that. That's it. And if you only place that level of expectation on yourself, then you can't fail. It's when we sort of say, oh, well, Ben goes to the gym for five hours a week. I need to go to the gym five hours a week, or I need to do this. You don't. So I think sometimes people have to be realistic about what it is that they want to achieve, how they can actually achieve it, and just be wary of comparing uh, yourself to other people because it can be a very dangerous process. Um, ultimately, as long as you're, uh, you're improving, you're moving forward, you're getting healthier, and your vitality is improving, then that is a positive thing. And if that's done by 15 minutes a day or an hour a day, that's still a positive thing. I totally agree with that. Endorse that 100%. Um, uh, the way I get my, I'm a, I, I loathe exercise. For me, it's something that I actually have to really push myself to do. But one thing that motivates me extraordinarily is, is to know that every step, 
every single step, like even in my house, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a flight of stairs. When I'm walking up the stairs, I run up the stairs every time. And every single step I take, I actually tell myself, your body loves this. It's really grateful for you doing this. And it sounds awfully trivial and really silly, but it starts to change that kind of negative outlook that, that I personally have um, on exercise. And it encourages me to do it. And it means that I can build exercise into my day without actually having to kind of consciously take time out if I don't have that time. Is, is that also an approach that you support? 100%. Um, you know, again, it comes down to your goals. You want to be fit and healthy, but you don't want to go in the gym and spend hours there or lift weights or do any of that kind of stuff. Um, ultimately, it doesn't actually take a lot of exercise to kind of be strong and be able. If we were to look at the people in the blue zones of the world, these people don't go to gyms. Right. Like, gyms don't exist there, but what they do do is they just stay fairly active. Like they, they get move. outside and they... Yeah. Yeah, they move like they tend to their garden. They're not afraid to lift things like physical activity is just part of their life. You know, these people generally are not working in offices with air conditioning every day and spending half their life indoors. So the gym isn't something that's going to make us live to 100. The gym is something that makes us look a certain way or gives us a certain performance outcome. So I think people just really need to understand the tools that are going to get them to the place that they want to get to. And it, are these are all really small definitions, but they're really important for people. You know, if someone looks at me and goes, oh, I need to do what Ben is doing. And I'm like, well, not if you want to have a high level of muscle mass and be able to sprint fast on a rugby pitch and do all of these things that I aim to do. If you want to just be fit and healthy for your kids and stave off disease as much as possible, then your exercise regime will look very different to mine. Right, right. Going back to when you were talking about the problems that you had um, when you were still overweight and you had a couple of other health problems, how, how did those health problems uh, look after you had actually lost the weight? Did the health issues resolve too? Yeah, um, it all happened at the same time, uh, mainly because I took quite an aggressive approach towards my health, but I had the time, energy and focus to do so. So at the time, I kind of uh, attached myself to what was framed at the time as the paleo diet. So the paleo diet, you know, very natural, whole foods, basically, you know, strip it all back to basics. And it worked brilliantly for fat loss because it inadvertently made me eat real food and made me eat less of it. And secondly, it, it took out some key food groups that actually caused a bit of an issue with me. So at the time, I found that I had a bit of an issue with gluten and dairy. So I removed those foods, felt a lot better, played around with reintroducing, realized that there was a bit of a problem there. So went on a bit of a journey to try and, um, I suppose I would use the term heal my gut. Um, I, but I did a lot of work on just sort of trying to really nourish my gut and my immune system and then I found that over time I was able to reintroduce those foods and I have no problem with those foods anymore apart from hay fever in the summer. Um, I don't eat cow's dairy in the summer because it seems to bring on um, uh, greater levels of hay fever. So I avoid it in the summer. But now it's out of hay fever season. I've reintroduced cow's dairy back into my diet and I feel absolutely fine. So it is a case that I'm still listening to my body. I'm still listening to the potential symptoms that it gives me. Um, but I do hugely believe in food quality. 
um, hugely believe that there's probably some things that are going to upset some people. And it's just a case of listening and identifying. I don't believe that there's any universal truths, you know, that people should not include certain food groups in their diet. Ultimately, we should always be outcome led. If you're experiencing something negative, bring it out, you know, see, see what the effect is. See if it's an actual food related problem or it's actual actually being triggered by something else. So for me, it was being triggered by the fact that I didn't have a very good gut, didn't have a very good immune system. And there's a plethora of reasons for that. I could have taken a lot of antibiotics as a kid. I could have had a poorly functioning immune system. I could have had a poor diet. I could have had a lot of um, emotional stress. Like we're never going to know. And that's the problem. Like if someone's listening to this and they're trying to deal with health complaints that they've got at the age of 40, whoever you go and see, like if they sit down with you or me, like we're all guessing like there's 40 years of history and background there that we're just not really going to know what's truthful. Um, so ultimately, we just need to be led by what's happening right now and the feedback that we're getting from our diet, from our exercise, from our stress, from our environment. Um, but ultimately, you're never not going to thrive or be healthier eating a lot of real food. Yeah, totally agree. If you had that time over again, would you do something different to what you did? I would... I don't know. Um, it was quite a long time ago. Um, I would say that I was probably quite ravenous in my approach to, to self-discovery, finding out new information. So I don't know if I could have done it quicker. Um, the thing is, is that I was, I was kind of happy anyway. Like if mm -hmm. I was unhappy, it would have maybe forced me to do things a little bit differently. Like um, I had a very high level of, of motivation and will to make these changes. So when I removed gluten and dairy from my diet, I didn't have much of a problem with that. I didn't feel like I was suffering, whereas some people might feel like they're suffering removing those foods because that means you're living a more restrictive lifestyle, and I get that. So you might be forced to then say, well, is this actually the problem? Have I actually found the truth? Am I on the right path? But because I didn't feel restricted, I just, I just basically got on with it. I just lived my life because for me – I have a greater connection with food and how it makes me feel rather than having the connection with food of like experience and comfort. Um, for me, I see food primarily as something that makes me um, perform at my best every day. Right, right. You are what you eat after all. Yeah. <laughs> um, mindset is a huge component of, of your approach to to both fitness and nutrition and health in general um as a therapist uh, obviously that's something that fascinates me extensively and uh, several of my colleagues not something i specialize in but several of my colleagues do specialize in weight loss and it's absolutely apparent that this is a such an emotional relationship i i don't actually think there's one person out there that does not have an emotional relationship to food um sometimes that's a very positive relationship sometimes less so how do you deal with that aspect of it do you use mindset just simply to motivate or actually just to clear up some bad relationships with food yeah, it's all of the above. Um, obviously, everyone wants to be motivated and inspired at the outset of their journey. So I use sort of mindset work or soft mindset work to 
um, motivate people, but then also start to challenge what people believe. Because the reality is everyone's been on a diet. Most people have failed on a diet. The diet industry indicates that most fee- people uh, fail many times before they hit success with their, you know, with their diet and nutrition. And, and why is that? Um, most of us could probably shape a pretty healthy diet if we were forced to. You know, most people know that, you know, real food is kind of what we should eat. So I don't think people are that far away. But the problem is, is we have a lot of faulty belief structures. We have uh, a relationship with food, which was primarily initially built by our parents. And there's probably some maybe some negative environmental stimuluses from our parents that uh, um, have stuck with you unknowingly. People might not have a true self-awareness of that. One of those things is um, you can't get down from the table till you finish your meal. Well, what does that do to you listening to your hunger signals? What if you sit down with a big plate of food and you're conditioned to always finish your plate of food? Well, that's not going to allow you to even entertain the idea that you might be full because you're conditioned to always finish your plate of food. And then your parents might have conditioned you to say, oh, when you finish your plate of food, then you can have pudding. So then there's an excitement element of your meal to then say, well, if I get through this, I can then have pudding. And I know loads of clients that literally cannot not have pudding in the evening because it's a conditioned response. Um, Then there's people that have uh, formulated an emotional relationship with food to control and and manage stress in their lives because there's a lot of of out-of-control feelings in their life. So it's really, really important to ask yourself what is the root cause of what you feel is um, poor behavior around food and um, for a lot of people it's probably a lot deeper than they think and they haven't really gone through those layers to actually identify that and it's it's an essential process to ever get freedom or to have a healthy relationship with food and I I feel I have a very relation, healthy relationship with food but it wasn't always like that um, and I went the other way I became very obsessive about my nutrition you know I wouldn't I wouldn't eat anything bad and I was like well hang on a second this is now causing its own set of damage because I don't feel free. Like I won't, I want to go out and have a burger and a beer with my mates. Like, can I do that and still be healthy? Yes, I can. So let me practice that. Let me, let me work my, myself through that. So mindset is absolutely huge. And um, when I coach clients, we'll go through. So out of my 90 days of kind of structured coaching, we'll go through about 40 days of mindset work because it's just, it's just that important. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Um, You know, definitely come across cases where the weirdest the weirdest connections to food get built really really early on sometimes from from the very sad examples of somebody who's experienced severe trauma and they use that weight and heaviness as a shield um sometimes there's people who don't feel seen so the bigger they are you know the more visible they are it's it's the most fascinating thing and it kind of makes biological sense if you like because i mean surely going out and finding food is is hard work and dangerous if if you're a hunter gatherer person and so in order to get that motivation i always think of it that that's why food is exciting and tastes good and is actually almost sometimes a little addictive um, simply to actually motivate us to get off our bums and go get it Uh, these days of course that that getting it has become so easy that that stimulus falls away and we're just left with this negative potential addictive quality of food so how can you help people who who have um 
I mean, you you talked about having spent, uh, you spend a lot of time addressing mindset, but how do you actually break these patterns? Because they're they're really hard to break. Mm. First thing is awareness. So sometimes we have to go down the route of actually kind of logging and almost having a bit of a diary of these moments. Um, So for example, a classic one is someone gets in from work they feel tired, they feel stressed, they maybe feel annoyed at their day, they've got quite a tough job. And at one point in time, they had a glass of wine after work. And the next day, they kind of said, oh, um, that glass of wine I had yesterday actually made me feel better. So I'm going to try that again today. And then it did the same thing, it made them feel better. And then that week, they had a glass of wine every week. And then all of a sudden, they're starting to notice that their evenings are more pleasurable than they were without wine and now that is such a conditioned behavior that person might not even clock the fact that they have a glass of wine in their lifestyle because that has become literal the norm and the only time they consider themselves to be a drinker is if they were to go out and have a meal or or do something with friends that involved alcohol but when you actually sit down and break a day down and everything that they do um, that might only be the only time that someone goes actually I do have a glass of wine when I get in from work. And then we go through the process of why is that? And then we start to say, right, okay, let's separate those two behaviors and say, right, when we come in from work, what is it that you're actually trying to achieve? You're trying to f- achieve a sense of control, a sense of calm. Um, you want to enjoy and do something for yourself rather than for, for other people. So then we go through the process of, okay, how do we replicate that emotion rather than just using wine? I'm not saying wine is a bad thing, but it might be a bad thing for us to do every day to rely on that. So then we can kind of say, well, how do you think we could replicate that emotion? And it might be that someone really enjoys going for a walk or having a cuddle with their dog or speaking to a friend on the phone or going to a fitness class. And then we're like, right, okay, we need to make some new plans. We need to test it. Instead of you walking in and going straight for a glass of wine, I want you to walk in. I want you to dump your bags. I want you to grab the dog lead or grab your anorak and just go straight outside for a 15-minute walk, even if it's for a five-minute walk. And all we're doing is we're allowing someone to break the pattern so that they then can be in control of their decision-making process. Because what was happening before is that person wasn't in control of their decision-making because they were so much on autopilot. So we then have to sort of really get quite granular with that process. It's not, it's not something that gets fixed quickly. Um, and then this, this kind of process starts to just sort of extrapolate itself into various areas of people's life. So, you know, if people go into the supermarket and they always make bad decisions in the supermarket, it's like, okay, well, tell me why that happens. And then the person might go, oh, because it's all, I always go into the supermarket when I'm hungry. Okay, okay, cool. Well, how can we avoid that from happening? Like, can we go to the supermarket at a different time? Or can we have um, this rule where you go into the supermarket and maybe you even do something as simple as chewing a piece of gum? Because chewing the piece of gum takes away your hunger a little bit. It changes what your uh, mouth actually wants as a stimulus because it's already got a stimulus. And there's just loads of these little tiny little hacks that we can then start to implement to make people think, ah, This is how I actually need to engage in what my body wants and needs because otherwise we're just always reacting in the moment. We're always playing the short game and we're never looking at the long game. You know, the long game for me in an example I used earlier was uh, a bit like being in the pub. Like if I just 
thought in the moment and a load of my friends went, do you want another beer? And I just said, yes. And then all of a sudden I'm two thirds of the way through the beer and I go, oh God, it's my third pint, bugger. I'm going to feel tired tomorrow. When I go out, I'm already thinking on the way out, I'm only going to have two pints tonight. Like that's my limit. I'm going to have a meal. Then I'm going to have two pints of water and I'm going to drive home because I know that's the method for me enjoying myself, but also feeling great the next day. So that only happened over time as I became aware of the outcome that I was getting and what I would need to change from an input perspective to get the outcome that I wanted. That, that's a big ask, though, realistically, for a lot of people. Um, I mean, otherwise, I think we wouldn't have the problems that we have. I mean, there's a lot of cases of people who are seriously overweight. You've just got to look at the huge sides of the fitness and diet industry to, to realize that we're bombarded with garbage to eat uh, and the problem with food is it's not like other things that you can just say, okay, I'm going to give up smoking so there's no cigarettes in the house. You have to eat. So how, you know, what, what that first step I think is, is huge. Um, how, do you, how do you deal with that? How do you get somebody, take somebody by the hand and say, look, you know, you, you can develop new habits because I see a lot of just, oh, this is so intimidating. I'm just going to go and have a sandwich. Hmm. for me it comes back to awareness and it comes back to reflection on the habits that we start to change so if I'm talking to a client I might be saying look we're going to make some changes and I want you to be aware of how those changes make you feel so right now describe to me how you feel and it might be that that person says I'm tired I'm lethargic I'm fed up you know I feel frustrated most of the time I'm stressed I'm like okay cool now, bottle that emotion. I want you to visualize it. I want you to feel it. And then we kind of say, right, we're going to implement a new habit. And that new habit is that you're just going to start drinking two liters of water a day. Like We're not going to do anything else. Just start with that. And I want you to just pay attention to how that starts to make you feel. Like, What does it change? Does it change your mood, your concentration, your focus, all of that kind of stuff? And then hopefully that person starts to become a little bit more aware of the positive aspect of making that change rather than the negative which is having to remember more stuff to do right and then we start to okay okay we've seen a positive change are you willing to try this thing for me now and we're going to try maybe doing a different breakfast or we do a different whatever and then what we do is we start to reinforce the fact that these things that we want to change are now no longer a negative burden they're now a positive aspect of bringing things into our life so it's a case of actually i do want to try change my breakfast i do want to start to exercise more because i've seen these little bits of um uh, improvement and pleasure and positivity i want to kind of continue and i think sometimes that's where some people go wrong and that's where some coaches go wrong is that we just try and do too much too soon and it becomes completely overwhelming and, you know, most people do this. They like, they wake up with an epiphany and they're like, right, enough is enough. I'm going to change. And then all of a sudden, all the bad foods in the bin, you know, they've completely overhauled their diet. They're in the gym and they just go at it really hard. They get loads of great results. And then something changes, weekend away, meal out, birthday, something, and they break and they, they just go back to square one again. Like all the habits are lost because it was just too much too soon. And that person didn't want to be that person that went to the gym every day in the morning and ate everything perfectly, etc. So I think we just, again, have to have an awareness of 
what we're currently doing, where we need to get to, what we can do, and just start to implement that. Because otherwise it is overwhelming. Like my approach to change is very different to my wife's, for example. I believe that I have a higher capacity to change. So if you threw a lot of stress at me, I can handle it. But it's because I've been conditioned to that. Like I've forced myself to handle that in the past. So my approach to a diet might be very different to my wife's just because of how we think and feel about things. And I think it's important to have the awareness of that in and of ourself, of our character, and just do what we can to move forward. Absolutely. Interesting point you just brought up, and it was one I wanted to address. Do you see a difference in genders in terms of how this has to be approached and worked through? Yeah, I do. Uh, as a general rule of thumb, I find that females in general will have a deeper emotional connection to food. Um, food is something that they enjoy. Um, there's often a conditioned aspect to that in that in general, female will generally cook more than the man in the home. So actually, we just have this conditioned food experience and, and men will quite often sit down and just sort of eat the food that they've been cooked for. So there's definitely physiological things. There's definitely um, environmental things, societal things. But yeah, I know that I will always have to have more kind of relationship with food chats with with my female clients than with men and sometimes it's a case of um just teaching a woman to kind of be a bit kinder to herself um you know there's there's, for example uh, a female has a period um obviously if they're still having periods and you know quite often they won't just have this reality check that during their period things will change you know, quite often women will put on anywhere from three to eight pounds in their period. And I'll, I'll have a client freak out and I'm like, oh, I've put on five pounds. And I'm like, well, that doesn't happen by magic. Like, are you on your period? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, that's why. And they're like, yeah, but still, like, I'm, I'm really pissed off. And I'm like, you can't be pissed off. Your biology has just changed <laughs> your water weight. Um, so it's little things like that. And I just think that comes with a bit of time, a little bit of compassion, a little bit of education. Right, right. I think that's that's also a little bit to blame for, for, you know, women trying to succeed in a man's world and playing by men's rules. And so I totally, totally endorse that because sometimes we have to have our own ways of getting to success, but success is still very much an option. So I'm mm-hmm. so happy that you support women that way. I think that's absolutely amazing. And it's and it's not it's not um, across the board. You don't see that everywhere. So good job, Ben. <laughs> One thing I also wanted to address, actually, um, I was listening to one episode of your podcast. And for my listeners, if you if you want another, see, I'm sending people off to the competition here, but Ben's stuff is really good. So please just tune in and listen to Ben Coomba Radio because it's absolutely super. But one episode that really fascinated me was the one that you had. I think it's also the second part was the most recent episode on this idea of... Um, instinctive eating and body image and everything and I think this is a huge factor Um, from the one hand we've got the beautiful people on Instagram and social media and on the other hand um, there's the the movement that's talking about you know be happy with the way you are no body shaming just accept that you know this is this is your kind of set point and there's not much you can do about it I thought the discussion that you had was super interesting perhaps you could just like 
pick out the little central points that, that you you address there? Sure. So intuitive eating is something that's uh, a very trendy uh, term, and I'm by no means an expert in this kind of term. There's people that have really done a lot of work here and research. So do do your research if this is an area of interest for you. But I started to see a lot of messages online where a lot of fitness people that had become overly obsessive about their nutrition and had really got to a, a little bit of a dark place needed to kind of recoil themselves and say, do you know what? I, I can't count calories anymore. I can't do all of this stuff. I can't do the Monday to Friday fitness classes. I need a kind of a break. And it, they, they needed to sort of jump back and just sort of listen to their body and ask it what it needed and be a bit kinder and a bit more compassionate. And I thought to a degree, that's a great message. But the problem is, is if you've not had that same life experience that's led you to that point, actually then trying to readjust to just listen and be a bit kinder you're you're not you're not doing it with the same level of knowledge and understanding so for me to eat intuitively now it's very easy because i understand an awful lot about food if i speak to you know your average uh, joe or jill on the high street you know if i said you know eat intuitively just eat what you want like that's probably going to eat they're going to eat the same diet or they are currently eating what they want so intuitive eating will only get you so far. Um, there's obviously a lot of context I feel that's also being lost. Um, you know, body positivity, yeah, brilliant movement. Don't disagree with that at all. Uh, diet culture, yeah, there's a lot of very damaging perspectives out there and people don't have to look and feel a certain way just because someone else does. But we have to understand that if we all want to be happy and healthy and live to 100 years time, which is what I want to want to reach um, because there's a lot I want to do in my life you know I do need to look after my weight I do need to look after my health and there's certain things that I have to do most days to be able to achieve that and I'm not going to kind of accept that my my body weight wants to be 14 stone or 15 stone or 16 stone when actually I know that that's probably unhealthy and I know that I can change that so for me I didn't want people to kind of sort of dive into this intuitive eating world and kind of think, well, I'm just going to try and listen to my body and be kind to it. When the chances are they're probably doing that anyway. Um, either way, a process of change for me has to come from a place of love rather than a place of hate. Um, I did change my body through a certain level of hatred, but it was also wrapped up in a, in a kind of duvet of love. Like I loved my body and I wanted it to change. I just hated the way it currently looked. Um, and, and I was cool with that. I was happy with that emotion. I didn't feel it was destructive for me. Ultimately, if we feel the path we're going on or the outcome we are getting is not as we want it, is negative, is destructive, then you do have to challenge how you currently think and feel about your body. If you're getting a positive outcome, then it doesn't really matter. Like my approach to nutrition might have been extreme at the time to a lot of people, but it worked for me. It came from a place of love. I dramatically changed my health and I moved into a career that I'm you know, immensely passionate about every day. So ultimately different um, methods and different phrases and mindsets will work for different people. So it's important to add your own layers of context, add your own layers of thinking to what it is you're trying to achieve and always use the outcome as the barometer of success. If you are moving forward and you are becoming happier and healthier, then you are being successful despite what the next person is doing. 
absolutely totally totally support that super absolutely yeah body image is it's it's a thing because i mean on the one hand you you know i certainly cannot support any kind of shaming on any level whether it's body gender religion race whatever whatever we should maybe all learn to love each other for what we are a little bit more in the world would be a better place but you know in the same way as we are recognizing that you can't dump garbage on our planet and expect it to survive you can't actually treat your body that way too and I think you're absolutely right mindset's so important because what might be intuitive to you from your particular headspace at that moment is three bars of chocolate you know (laughs) but that's ultimately not going to lead you down a very successful path because you will develop certain diseases I think goes without question how much the relation is of obesity to so many diseases and ultimately there I think also it's not it's not wrong perhaps to make people aware that they also have sort of like a social responsibility in addition to their responsibility for themselves which is you know is it fair that you are going to by perhaps not looking after yourself as you should increase the load on the healthcare system, increase the load on the whatever, whatever, whatever. It's it's sort of part of our duty to all care for ourselves and each other, I think. Perhaps I'm a bit idealistic. I don't know. No, no, I agree. And I have, um, you know, I have that view sort of across the boards in our life, you know, things like recycling, like, you know, I hate seeing a plastic bottle go in and um, it's not about me. It's about the bigger picture. It's about the impact I can have. Um, yeah, so I'm fully in alignment with that. And as a just about to be parent, I'm sure you're much more aware of it. The future is so important. Mm. Um, you talk a lot um, about living an awesome life, being your best self. This is this is one of those kind of personal development terms that sometimes makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up because I think it's 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 become a bit of a sort of a term and nobody really understands what's meant behind it. Um, and also I think it it means that a lot of people interpret that to be, I have to have a huge life and I have to have millions and millions of pounds in the bank and I have to have the best job and I have to have the sexiest girlfriend and the biggest car and this, that and the other. What is your definition of leading an awesome life? And, and for the the normal person, the person who not everybody could get to the top of that pile. So how can somebody who's a normal human being really live an awesome life according to Ben Coomba? Sure. So for me, it's kind of a mission statement to allow myself to live at my potential. And I don't think anyone truly knows what their potential is. But that process of sort of trying to find it and discover it is probably the most beautiful part of it. So when I say to myself, I want to live an awesome life, I want to wake up every day and do a job that I'm passionate about. I want to have the energy and vitality to live the life that I want to live. I want to have, the fi- I want to have enough financial freedom that I want to be able to experience the world. So travel, you know, that kind of stuff. And that, that doesn't mean someone earns you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of pounds, it's enough to just do some really cool stuff. Ultimately, it all comes down to a personal mission statement. Like if living an awesome level level of uh, awesome life to you is living in the countryside, having a lot of peace and quiet, 
you know, going to work, doing a job, but coming home and being able to enjoy your free time and go on hikes at the weekend and have a real nice close um, friends group um, and enjoy time with family, then that's your level of living an awesome life. That's what you visualize it as. For someone else, if it's to travel to you know 40 different countries a year and have a sports car and all that kind of, then that's absolutely fine as well so for me it's a calling to say why don't we try and live at our potential you only have one life that's it once the cord is pulled you're gone so i'm on this planet for 100 years what do i want to do with it what do i want to experience and it might be that i have three or four different careers and three or four different houses and all the rest of it but it's about having a higher calling because I think if you then have that approach, you then start to take care of your health. You then start to take care of your fitness because I can't achieve all of that without feeling energized every day, without getting a good night's sleep, without you know being fit. So all of it gets wrapped in together. So if we have a higher calling, all this health and fitness stuff almost just like takes care of itself because you kind of have to do it as a byproduct. And that's what, for me, living an awesome life means. Very wise words. Very wise words indeed. What do you do? Everybody talks these days about morning routines, for example. But what does your day look like in terms of um, your yeah, personal care, let's say, both mental and physical? Sure. Do you, um, do you have a morning routine? Yeah. Mine, mine lasts about three hours. My morning doesn't start until lunchtime sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really simple, surprisingly simple. Um, I work from home. So uh, I kind of get up in the morning, have a little stretch about, have a cuddle with my dog, put the coffee pot on. While I put the coffee pot on, I quite often um, clean something or stretch or just I do something that feels or makes me feel like I'm in control and quite often tidying is something that kind of helps with that. Um, the night before I would have written my to-do list for the t- t- that day. Um, so I'm personally a massive fan of, you know, getting up and eating the frog or catching the worm, however you want to phrase it. Um, so I get up and I don't turn my phone on. I just get on with my work projects, coaching clients, that kind of stuff. And then quite often in the middle part of the day, I'll, I'll have a workout. I've got a garage gym, I train in the gym. Um, if I'm not traveling away for work, then I'll work a bit in the afternoons, meetings, podcastings, that kind of stuff. And then in the evening, you know, it's always a mixture of uh, being in my garden, going out with my wife, playing rugby, that kind of stuff. So it's pretty straightforward. Um, like I don't you know, don't get me wrong, there's huge value in things like meditation, writing a gratitude log, listening to music, listening to podcasts, there's all sorts of things. But ultimately, all we're trying to do is put ourselves in a state of mind to achieve something. So for me, I've probably gone through lots of different processes that now my state of mind is there. Like I get up and I just do the things that I've got to do to kind of live my life. Um, so, yeah, I'm a very driven person. I, I work a fair bit. I probably work 45, maybe 50 hours a week. And for most people, that actually sounds like not a lot because I know a lot of people actually work a lot. But remember, I work from home. So this is hours where I actively work. It's not commuting time. It's not walking about at lunch. It's not doing anything like that. That's 45 hours actually on my computer or talking to people kind of thing. Um um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my routine. It's not it's nothing overly complicated. 
It's a busy life, though. <laughs> Impressive. Ben, I always like to ask tiny, three tiny little questions just to round up. Um, as I can see, we're running out of time, sadly. Um, London Heal is all about mind, body, spirit, medicine. And I like to wrap that up in the idea of health, happiness and serenity. So you are the health guru. What is the definition of health for you? What does that word actually mean? I think it live. Uh, it means living without ailment, living without pain or friction or frustration or anger. Um, I don't want to. I don't want health to just be physical because it's not. In fact, mental health is probably the largest thing that a lot of people are dealing with. So, if I wake up and that day I have frustrations, anger, resentment, pain, I want to deal with that as something that's going to kind of hold me back. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's living with that sense of energy across the board, physical and mental, um, so that you feel like the majority of the time you're having a good day. <laughs> Great. And what about happiness? What does Ben do to get happy? Or do you even think it's something worth pursuing? Because, you know, some people confuse happiness with pleasure and they're not the same things. Yeah, I think happiness is fleeting. I don't think it ever is a is a thing that just sits around all day and I think that's okay I think the people that feel that happiness is something that they can have every day is is probably deluded like it's just it's going to happen in such a small amount of people um that those people probably leave live with um complete financial freedom in that, that they can do whatever they want every day that's not the reality for most people so for me if I can get up most days and do a job that I love do some exercise that I enjoy, do something fun that maybe makes me laugh. You know, I do something with my wife that was, you know, pleasurable or meaningful or enjoyable. Then the chances are 60 to 90% of that day is going to be filled with happiness or at least purpose, which I think is something, you know, I can have a very hard day at work, but it felt purposeful. So I feel happy about it at the end rather than being happy about it in the middle. And I think that's okay. Perfect. Perfect. And serenity, you said that you're not big on meditating, but I, I always think it is really important that we take time out to just turn down the noise, as I call mm. it. Um, what do you do to have serenity? What makes you feel calm and serene? Uh, to go for a walk with my dog. I live in the middle of nowhere, um, usually twice a day for a good 20 or 30 minutes. I'll just jet outside and it'll be nice and quiet and breezy and and that and that's great for me I feel I feel alive in in nature wonderful Ben where's the best way where people can get in touch with you because uh we we talked a lot about um how you treat individual clients but you also train uh the nutritionists of the future so you have courses for that so if people were more interested either to work with you individually or to learn with you, to help others in the future? What's the best way of getting in touch with you? Sure. Just type my name into Google or Instagram or Facebook or wherever you like to enjoy um, following people. So just type Ben Coomber in. Um, BenCoomber.com, you'll find most things. And if anyone wants to get kind of more um, structured education, as you mentioned, if you go to btn.academy, that's our education company and we yeah we we have qualifications in nutrition coaching on there but 
yeah, type my name in most places, you will find some good, well, hopefully some good stuff. <laughs> I'm, absolutely. You'll find tons of good stuff. I can assure you of that. And of course, tune in to Ben's podcast because it's definitely worth a listen. Ben, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me today. It was a pleasure and I honour you for what you're doing. I think anybody who dedicates their lives to helping others is, uh, is living a good life. Thank you. Wicked. Thank you very much. Well, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Ben as much as I did. I love his approach to the world of health and fitness together, um, of just generally living well. I mean, it's, it's our message. It's looking after your body. It's looking after your mind. And it's looking after your spirit um, by feeding it well, by exercising it, and by being kind to it. And I also particularly like the fact that Ben really acknowledges that the path is not always exactly the same for men and women. Big factor. So please follow the links that we've put in the show notes and check out his stuff. And if you are interested in actually beginning to teach this kind of work and helping other people using Ben's approach, then check out his course, which is available um, to train the nutritionists of the future. Of course, as always, I ask you that if this information was of interest to you and you think it may be of interest to other people, please distribute it. Um, Also rate reviewers on any podcast platform that you listen to, but particularly Apple Podcasts would be really great. It really does help us. And I cannot tell you how enormously appreciative we are of every star that we get and every review because it really does help get our, what I hope is very valuable messages out there. And so my dear listeners, oh, I forgot, of course, Also, if you would like to have extended show notes for future episodes, then just pop over to our website, londonheal.com, and there you can sign up, get on our mailing list, receive an email every time there's a new episode, and you'll get all the links plus the extended show notes, and we will never spam you, promise. And so, my dear listeners, that leaves me, as always, to wish you health, happiness and serenity.